Welcome to the Action Research Podcast, somehow the first podcast dedicated solely to action research. Each episode, action research experts Adam and Joe explore facets of this research methodology. Speaking with experienced and emerging action researchers, they aim to contribute to this important and growing field and understand the nuance and process of action research in action. Thanks for tuning in. Now, on to your hosts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Action Research Podcast. Today, we have two guests, which I am excited to introduce. The first is, and in no particular order, Patricia Canto. Patricia Canto is a researcher at Orchestra Basque Institute of Competitiveness, she holds a PhD in social sciences and master of philosophy and development studies and a master's in international relations, along with a bachelor's in international relations. She investigates the role that communication plays in articulating academic knowledge and territorial development processes in international knowledge networks. Uh, her research areas include the social impact of research, scholarly publishing and scholarly communication and the role of universities in regional socioeconomic development. Patricia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having us today, Adam. We're very excited and very pleased to be here. Thank you. And additionally, joining us today is Mirin Larea, senior researcher at Orchestra, who began her professional career as a research assistant at the University of Deusto where she wrote her doctoral thesis on the local production systems of the Basque country. Um, a large part of her work today focuses on the development of action research processes with policymakers in order to create participatory perspectives of regional development. She holds a degree in business administration and management and a PhD in economic science from the University of Deusto. Mirren, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for inviting us and looking forward to the conversation. Today we are going to be talking, broadly speaking, about communication of action research. I stumbled upon your article uh, in the Action Research Journal that was recently published this year titled Rethinking the Communication of Action Research. Can we make it dialogic? I was really fascinated by the angle that you were taking. Um, with respect to how we are communicating action research. Um, I think it's a really important and interesting conversation. So we wanted to have you on the podcast to talk more about that. So um, I'm really excited to do that. And before we get going, um, if you don't mind, do you mind sharing just like a quick fun fact with our audience? Yeah, okay. Um, well, I don't know if it's gonna sound fun or not, but you know, after the pandemic, how difficult it was to get into the habit of having people over at your place and, you know, so we decided to do that. And tomorrow I'm having friends for lunch. So I prepared this amazing Mexican dish called enchiladas de mole, which is like on the heavy side uh, for like cold days in autumn, you know, when you wanna feel warmish. And tomorrow we're having 30 degrees Celsius, which is totally over the top. And I'm really afraid that my guests are gonna be re feeling really hot and gonna be sweating when they're eating my enchiladas, but what can we do? I don't know if that's fun, but that's what came up. <laughs> and Miren, 
it's a holiday here we are having like four days holiday now a long weekend because here in spanish we say el dia de todos los santos literally it would mean the day of all saints it's uh, the spanish version of halloween and uh, i think that uh, nowadays more than a religious uh, meaning it's uh, just some days to relax and meet friends and eat and drink and we will be traveling to do that it's time for a lightning round for those of you who haven't been listening lightning round is just a series of quick hitting questions just to kind of meant to elicit succinct responses kind of broadly about action research kind of get the blood flowing a little bit if you will so are you ready yeah ready yes ready so the first question is what is action research to you i can take that um, action research is what inspired me to do my PhD. And Miren? I think that action research for me is the way I found to, to be myself while being a researcher. Second question is, what is the most important component of action research to you? I can start with that. And I think that would be dialogue. Patricia? Apart from dialogue, it's commitment to democratic social change. Next question. What is a major consideration when communicating action research? I would say that when communicating action re research, if you want to follow the principles of action research, you first have to think, what is it that you want to change by communicating your action research, and then thinking who you need to engage in order to change that. And the final question, what distinguishes action research from other forms of research? You. For me, that would be that you are also part of change and transformation, and you're not just looking at transformation from the outside, but you, you really understand and act as you are also part of the change. For me, I think um, it's that it involves um, those that are directly connected with the transformation um, at hand, with the, the problem that we want to address um, in, in the process. That brings us to the end of the lightning round. The article that I wanted to kind of dive into with you all today is titled Rethinking the Communication of Action Research. Can we make it dialogic? And it was a really cool story in this paper, right? It was more than just a, a standard research paper. So do you mind kind of filling our audience in give, uh, with the background of where this publication came from? and? why perhaps you decided to um, take on this topic together? Sure. Um, well, this um, uh, actually started, um, we work in the same research institute. Um, Miren has been a researcher there for, for, for since she joined. But before I decided to do my, my PhD, I was um, in the communication department and basically managing um, the publication, uh, the different collections and publications of the institute. At some point, Miren um, invited me to help them negotiate with um, a major publishing company um, to keep the um, translation rights of a book they were going to publish in English and to keep the translation rights in Basque, in Norwegian, and in Spanish. 
Her problem was that she and her co-author were um, going to publish a book that incorporated knowledge and the voice of many um, local stakeholders. And they wanted to use that book um, to continue working with these stakeholders. But she was very worried and she felt really bad saying, okay, so when they say, I really want to read your book, um, the book cost, I think, 180 pounds um, when it was uh, you know, first published and it was in English. So it was a way of like, how do we bring back that knowledge to, to the stakeholders with whom we work? So I helped her to do that. I helped her. We negotiated the translation rights. We kept those translation rights. And we um, inaugurated a new collection of books by translating into Spanish that first book that was um, published in English. And we started a collection of action research, um, action research related books. And so we were happy that we had the translation rights and that way we could communicate this knowledge in Spanish and, you know, in Basque even. And then we made open access collections so people could download this, connect, you know, the, the, the publication. And then the third step was, okay, so now um, it's in different languages with whom we work, with our stakeholders. Now it's open access, but we don't know what happens when they read it. We can count 45, 50, 60 downloads, but we don't know what happens there. So why don't we explore a different way of communicating our action research? And how, why don't we explore how can, what can we do to make it dialogic? So that's where, that's the, the seed of, 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 of this. Um, and it's also the seed of my, of my PhD dissertation, which was based on this, on this, um, on this trying to make um, the communication of action research um, dialogic. The only thing I would add is that in that book uh, Patricia refers to, we also uh, proposed, uh, James Carlson and myself, the concept of connectivity, which meant that we felt responsible of, of taking that knowledge we had generated to other processes, other contexts, beyond just publishing the book. Because we read some authors saying that, okay, the responsibility of the author about his or her knowledge is finished when it's published. Then, you know, that book has his or own life and you're not responsible for bringing that knowledge into other contexts. And we define the concept of connectivity to explore how we can take further steps in taking that knowledge into these other contexts and not just waiting for them to read the book. So I think that's also part of the story Patricia was telling. I have a quick question. So this term dialogic comes up a lot in action research. I think it often stems kind of from through Frarian philosophy, but it's always been for me a little bit of like a, not, not a vague term, but it's hard to kind of nail down. Do you mind speaking a little bit more to what you mean when you say make how do you make communication dialogic well um i think what we do is we basically um compare that to to a linear type of communication i mean one where you only inform about something you you're you're, you're conveying um your knowledge you're informing what you found but you're not um you're not actually interested in what um, those that are listening or reading or, or learning about your research think about it or will do about it um, and when we think about dialogic communication of, of, of um, action research publications that uh, like papers or books or whatever, um, we mean that we want to communicate this knowledge, but knowing um, what, what, what happens um, to those who are listening, to those who are reading, or to those um, that are, you know, having access to this, we want to we um, do the full circle, though, just to receive um, their, how this resonates with them. 
Very clear. Thank you. All right, so let me jump in then. So you begin the paper by making the argument that interaction is a cornerstone of action research. However, it is seldom present when communicating results. This is all I quote. Then you identify the following problem statement. Communicating academic knowledge from action research processes using linear formats reduces its potential to transform society by essentially giving up interaction with the reader and giving up co-production of new knowledge. Can you expand on this and talk a little bit about why this perhaps is problematic and what some potential alternatives are? Um, yes, thank you, Adam. Well, um... I think that what we were trying, what we're arguing there, our concern was um, basically if we're saying that um, on the cornerstone of action research is interaction with, with stakeholders, and so we do that in our research, action research processes, um, why um, can we not do the same thing, like in being coherent? when we communicate the results of those, um, of those um, research process, not back to our stakeholders, because, um, well, we know that we, we, don't need to we don't need to transfer knowledge when, from our research processes, because, um, I mean, the stakeholders are part of those research processes, so you don't need to go back and tell them again. But then there's another, um, there are other communities um, that would be interested maybe in those results. So um, if we communicate linearly without, as I was saying earlier, knowing how what you're communicating resonates with those who are listening or reading, you might be um, missing out on the opportunity of, of learning more and even of, 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 of co-generating new knowledge and of learning as well. Um, so um, we thought, why don't we give it a try? Why don't we explore how this can actually, what, what happens with this when you, when you do it in practice? Because one thing is, okay, let's be coherent with the um, you know, interaction and dialogic principles and let's communicate dialogically. And the different thing is, I mean, let's do it in practice. So what, what happens when you do it in practice? Oh, and I think that's a really important problem statement. I think it's a really interesting concept and an important concept, especially in action research, but I think in research in general, too. I think that's one of the things that action research can contribute to is thinking through new processes or different processes, maybe not new, but more generative processes to uh, co-create knowledge or to share knowledge or to transfer knowledge, although I think that action research would probably say transfer of knowledge. It's a very common research term, but I think action research would probably question that because it's not a, you know, here it is and then it goes over there. It's uh, something that is organic, that is dialogical, that is relational, if the knowledge is to be put into to use. A question I had was, and I think this is, your work is leading towards a solution, but in this nonlinear form of communication, one of the things that in teaching graduate students or in my own reading as a PhD student, oftentimes words can be interpreted differently because words have certain denotations, but they also have connotations. And when students read uh, articles or when they read chapters of books, they often have questions, right? It'd be like, I don't necessarily understand this or in my context, community dialogue would look like this, but it sounds like community dialogue looks some, somehow different in another context. So how do I relate these concepts to my own context? Um, and I think that this is this is one approach to start to solve that. So I was curious if you could talk a little bit more about the deferred dialogue that you were talking about and how do questions with deferred dialogue start to get addressed or answered and how do interpretations start to get addressed and answered? Maybe I can start 
with that answer and then Patricia continue. I think this was one of the concepts that we most discussed because, um, okay, Patricia faced uh, us with the challenge of communicating something differently and that uh, differently made it should be dialogical. So it was not enough that we published a book, but we as authors of that book needed to have certain dialogue with the readers. And we were a bit worried because, okay, but how, how much time is this going to demand from us? We cannot be just waiting for anybody to read the book and make a question and answer because that would be exhausting. So how can we make this feasible? And that's how we reached this concept, uh, exploring different approaches to dialogue that would not be mean being there, just waiting to interact, but uh, readers could leave, could leave their questions there and we could leave our answers. And even sometimes we could leave some answers before the question was made thinking that that could so it was a complicated uh, approach but uh, our goal was uh, to be dialogic without that being so demanding that it would not be feasible so how can we make this feasible and still dialogic that was a challenge and maybe patricia can tell a bit more about how we faced it um, yes. Um, well, it was it was as Miriam was saying. Um, one of the, well, the trickiest part of um, of the process. I I would add to what Miriam said um, that this also um, met some of the conversations that we had during the workshops, the different workshops where we discussed um, the concept, was that we we had to consider the environment in which um, in which um, academics work um, were normally. Um, um, finance, um, your project is financed um, for the process, for the research process itself, but it is very rare that you get, um, you get um, resources for investing in communication. Um, very, very rarely it happens. You tend to normally do it like on your free time or, or because you want to, because you know, but it, I mean, a stakeholder is not really interested in, in your communicating a particular research result. So we were thinking, okay, if, if you cannot be um, the dialogic process cannot be as intense as during the research process because that won't even be feasible um, like, 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 um, like with the funding in general. How do you tell your stakeholder that you're using the money to communicate and that you're going to spend another 12 months in dialogue with um, some other community to whatever? So, so that took us to this, um, this precise um, way of thinking of saying, okay, what can we do as researchers, what um, they were thinking, what, what can we do? Um, in this deferred dialogue so that part of the work is done before part of the work is done before the dialogue takes place and then just a little bit we 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 come in right so so it doesn't take that much time and in a in a later development in another paper that we wrote on this i, I developed this a bit further further so that this deferred concept this deferred dialogue um is really a form of ex ante and in situ facilitation so if you had a chance to access the platform where we, the dialogic space where we are communicating the book, you find all these um, like videos with Miren and her co-author talking and explaining what this chapter is about. And they wrote short text and they wrote the questions. And so they did a lot of work during the, during the process. So that's the Exanta facilitation. They facilitated the dialogue before actually engaging in the dialogue. 
um, and then when uh, when the the the, the people the the, the other the state um, other action researchers or practitioners come into the platform and write um, write their questions um, their answers and um, interact in the agora with the researchers there's an in situ facilitation where they um, the authors do engage in a dialogue um, but a more um, controlled dialogue um, in, a, in the sense of time. As I read your article and also as I hear you talking, I try and place myself, I, I try and place the context of this message in my own research and the work that I'm doing in the field. And I wanted to, I was kind of wondering like where, where my mind goes is how would this work here, right? Because um, it seems like uh, in action research, you know, like, like we, we spoke about earlier, the most important part of it is sort of like the inclusivity, if you will, right? Or not the most part, but a major component of action research is the inclusivity. And your point about bringing that through all the way to how we're communicating results is really important and fascinating. And, you know, where I go in my mind is like one of the hardest things for me to communicate is like with the, the, the communities that I'm working with, right? With some of the stakeholders that are outside of scholarship. So with the more traditional forms of research, this linear approach to communicating findings comes through publications and books. And, you know, I think that, you know, a more dialogic approach in the scholarly community is really interesting. But how do we make communicating, have you, I don't know if you've thought about this, but how do we make action research, communicating action research dialogic and inclusive with all of the stakeholders that are involved in the process, right? Because one of the outcomes of the study that you did was, you know, there's awesome website and it's, you know, uh, there's, there's robust questions and responses. Um, and, you know, when I try and think about how that might work here, you know, there's just limitations to having access to that sort of communication. You know, there's infrastructurally some sometimes it's rural areas where i'm working where there's you know no internet or electricity even or perhaps you know some of like the reading and writing skills might be a limitation as well so i was wondering if you've considered uh, that angle when it comes to dialogic communication of action research outcomes and findings yeah you're absolutely right adam um this um this whole research this whole process um that we're the story that we tell in the paper it takes place in a specific context um, in which we're thinking that we want to go beyond the the, the publish or perish um, you know um, a thing that surrounds us always and do something that's more coherent with all the uh, principles of action research but we totally agree that in that sense it's uh, that you're mentioning it's not totally inclusive because you would need um, internet access or to read to write we played with the languages we we, we we tried to make it inclusive by using different languages and so on but but um, we've been using this approach in another project that other projects that we're working with, um, particularly one project um, we're working with this called a citizen social science, a new approach that uses action research and participatory approaches. And we're working with um, with young people from marginalized communities in nine different European countries. Some of them have hearing problems. Others are immigrants, some um, with no citizen status really others are you know different um collectives um that some of them don't even could not use this because they cannot read or they don't know the language so we added a new dimension to this framework that's called sensuous 
I don't know if that's the correct word, um, but in which we include the tactile, um, we include the, um, the he hearing, tactile, and images, especially because images are, are so powerful as a way of communicating as well. Um, so um, out of this um, framework that um, emerged from our paper in which we're only dealing with, um, with the written text, um, we've added a new dimension that involves images, that involves sound, and that involves even touching. We are currently exper experiencing with this in, in nine different cases um, in, in European communities, and we don't have the results yet, but I think we're gonna have really interesting um, things here, um, like, like next year on this, but I, I agree. Um, in that sense, um, it's not, like as inclusive as we would want to our approach but by adding this other form of communication other forms of expressing knowledge um i think um that that's another way of communicating results of action research yeah. i have a follow-up question so this is something that when i was reading the article i was like yes that is much more coherent and aligned with action research principles it makes sense to build in that um dialogic function and to ex expand a community of practitioners to make sure that people who might want to uh, learn with you all would be able to access the learning that you all have done. One of the questions I had was, you know, you talked about this model of uh, publisher parish and, and one of the things that also has started is, you know, tracking the impact of your research. So, you know, how many citations do you have? How many times has your paper been downloaded? Um, and, and the idea of reach is, has become important in terms of this kind of broad reach with these very limited statistics and, and influence. So, you know, supposedly, this is my supposedly, and it's a, an assumption that is recognized in kind of academic scholarship literature, but the more citations you have, the more influential you are. Of course, a citation, you could get a citation for just being you know, the, the thing to cite without actually having somebody deeply engaged with your work. So another question about influence is, you know, if you have a very limited influence on a lot of different scholars or practitioners um, with citations, but it's not very deep, is that real influence? And one of the things that I think this dialogical approach could be supportive of and helpful for is to have a very real and a meaningful influence on people. And one thing that I think this approach might limit, but I'm not sure. And so I'd like to hear your perspectives on this is you might not have as many people engaged dialogically as people would just, you know, pick up and read an article. And so I'm curious about how you, if you think that's true, one, because it might not be true, you might actually get more. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't have any empirical evidence of this. Um, but two, just to, to talk a little bit about this model and engagement and influence. I would like to start with this one. In academia, we have a very narrow, we give a very narrow meaning to impact. It's impact, how you impact other researchers when they are writing and they cite. But action research aims at transforming the world. And that's the, the real impact we want to achieve. So the question is, have you transformed the world for the better through your research? And then you have had impact. And maybe nobody is citing your work, but you, you had that impact in, in transforming the world. Yeah. So I think uh, this uh, we have very honest uh, discussions with our young PhD students, etc., saying 
maybe it's hard to face, but you have to choose. It, it's about choices because maybe you cannot have it all. And if you really want to have a lot of impact in the narrow sense of publishing in high ranking journals and being cited a lot, maybe action research is not the best strategy. If you want to transform the world and the communities you work with, this is for you. So th there is a choice. And then once you make that choice, impact has a very different meaning. And I want to tell a short story about this book, because really this platform uh, that we have been describing is one book we had already written, but communicated in a different way than the traditional book. It's a book about how to facilitate territorial development. And I remember I almost cried once when Patricia wrote a WhatsApp for me from Argentina telling me about what she was seeing there. And I wanted to tell that story because for me, that's the impact I'm uh, looking for. So Patricia, maybe if you can tell that story, I think that's the, for me, the most beautiful example of impact that I had in my, uh, in my career. Yes, Miren, of course. Um, yeah, this is a great story. Um, I was in Argentina, um, in Rafaela, um, which is a, a, a place um, where, where we have um, um, colleagues and from the action research community with, with, with whom we work. So I, I went there for like two weeks um, to, to work with, um, with the researchers that were facilitating um, change processes in several um, communities and neighborhoods um, where they were. And so one night they, they told me, well, Patricia, you um, you have to stay late tonight because we're going to this meeting and because they all work. Um, well, we have to meet like at nine o'clock um, or eight o'clock or something. And then we're going to have an asado afterwards. And But first we have to go. So there we go at 9 p.m. Um, really, really late for European standards. And, you know, it was like, well, so there we are. And then when I get there and then I see this big table of, of people, uh, you know, um, mm, people that had left their children already sleeping and came to the meeting. And then the other one who was a nurse and also arrived and the other one, everybody like committed to, to the meeting to discuss the different um, challenges that were being faced by their, by, by their neighborhood. And they all had the book on facilitative um, actors of territorial development in their hands. They all had a copy of the book. They had all accessed the platform and they were all discussing all the different concepts and, and you know, saying how they had gone to the government's office and they had tried to talk with the, with the government official, but the government official, and all the meaning was there. And they had their book like that. It was incredible. I do have a picture somewhere with this and I, and I WhatsApp me and I said, look, Miriam, this is impact. Here they are with your book and this, you know, and then we had an asado later and we and we talked, continued talking about the difficulties of facilitating change processes and, um, you know, what they had achieved, what they still had to do. But for me, I mean, but that would never count as an academic achievement. However, that for me, that was, of course, that was the clearest sign of him. And Miren was almost, almost crying when she wrote back, wow, this is incredible. But it was it was that. I think that for me, those people will not cite our book because they are not publishing, but they will transform their neighborhoods and their towns. And, and that's, that's for me, the meaning of impact of research. That's great. Thank you. And to add to that, because they were engaged in dialogue with you all, uh, very, very practically that I'm sure that deepened and enriched how they went about in the process of transforming their neighborhoods, their communities. 
because that is, you know, that is the co-learning process at work, right? That's the important thing. It's one thing to be able to read and understand the text and be able to regurgitate it, which we know of as the banking model. But another thing is to deeply understand and co-learn using some of the concepts and the ideas as, as a foundation for that. And that's so cool. And thank you so much for sharing that story. It's such an important point to pull out again to our listeners, you know, who are exploring action research, this idea that action research really does enable us to redefine impact as we have been trained to understand it thus far, especially within academia and scholarship. And you know, the, the fact that we can look past the number of citations and publications and really focus on people who are participating in what we're doing, being better off one way or the other, and acknowledge that as the top priority and outcome that we're aiming to achieve through research is a notion that I think needs to be exemplified uh, and promoted more. Um, because at the end of the day, if we're not doing it for that reason, really what's, why are we doing it? You know, and then it goes back to kind of the point that you made earlier about with the grant funding and there's all these finances being dumped into an otherwise self-perpetuating cycle that maybe doesn't really get us anywhere. And, you know, I always looked at what, what always attracted me to academia and higher education was this idea of it being such a brain trust, you know? And not to make it exclusive to anybody that's not within higher education, but that's what it is. And there's so much potential, I think, when you put great minds together. I'm under the impression that that was kind of its original intent as far as the purpose of higher education is concerned. And it seems as though we've steered away from that largely. And action research is a way to push back on, on that. Um, so th thank you for doing that and sharing that story. Um, I think it's really important. Let's talk for just a second to an audience that's specific to graduate students, if we can. I think that the topic of communicating action research and just research findings in general, I think graduate students are an important audience for this discussion. So what advice do you have for graduate students, you know, who might be in the thick of framing their research or collecting data or getting ready to present a study. What, what advice do you have for graduate students within this topic of communicating findings and, and research? And Joe, of course, feel free to come in here too as well. You work directly with graduate students, of course. Yeah, I can start with three things and then maybe Patricia can continue. I think that one of the things I would tell them is I would invite them to think what action research is for them, really. And I realize that for some, it's just a technique to do research. And for others, it has a deep political meaning about how we want to transform the world. And I think that the experience of action research is very different. I think both options are okay and they should decide on their own how they want to use action research. But I see that it's worth giving it a thought at the beginning. I would also tell them to go slowly about action research, not to try to understand and, and integrate everything at a time, because there are many different ways to do action research. And I think each of us, have to, we have to find our own. 
and I think that even in our team in orchestra, if we are eight or ten people doing action research, there are eight or ten different styles of doing action research. And I think that's about going slowly about it and learning and reflecting and seeing how we want to, to develop ourselves with action research. And then just one last thing, I think that it's very important to nurture the respect for other types of knowing. Because I think that sometimes in academia we are educated to understand that academic knowledge is superior in some way. And I think that doesn't work in action research. If you approach stakeholders or a community thinking that you have the answers or you have a better type of knowledge, whatever, it will not work. So I think it's very important to be aware that all different types of knowledge are relevant in an action research process and academic knowledge is one more but not superior in, in any way. So I think those are my recommendations. Patricia? Um, well, I would tell them um, to try to find a supportive environment to do their, um, their action research um, dissertations because that's not easy, at least, um, well, um, in many universities, action research is um, frowned upon as um, a valid approach to research. Um, and sometimes you can get away with it, but um, you don't need to suffer so much <laughs> along the way. Um, no, try to find a supportive environment. Um, at least um, people, yeah, of course, your, your, your um, supervisor, like in my case, it was Meeden and well, it was wonderful to have Meeden as my supervisor, um, but, but have a supportive um, supervisor, but also find a program that actually kicks in. I had the experience um, a few months ago of speaking with some um, young scholar. She's doing fantastic work in citizen social science. Um, she loves action research. She's very, very, I mean, she she very knowledgeable on this. And when I asked her where she was doing her PhD, she said somewhere else because um, she's going to do something else because in her faculty that was not accepted. It was frowned upon. So she decided to do something else. And then, you know, I think that's really sad. So I would ask, uh, tell them to, to find a supportive environment. And then I would also um, 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 fight um, to include um, in graduate programs um, to teach researchers that there are other approaches to doing research, that there's not just one. You know, positivistic, um, the scientific method, which is, okay, good, wonderful for whatever it needs to be. But um, so many researchers don't know that there are other ways of, of producing knowledge. And I think that's a, a grave mistake. So um, I think we also need to find a supportive environment, but also to um, to try to, 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 to make things happen. I mean, to have a critical mass to push for things to change also within academia so that people, researchers are aware that there are other ways of producing knowledge, not only those that will approach action research, that will do action research, but those that do other types of research, that they also need to be aware that that's not the only type of knowledge production. I mean, those are amazing responses to that question. Thank you so much. I just wanna say thank you um, for coming on and also for making this awesome contribution to the field. I think it's really, really important. Again, the article, if our listeners want to go out and find it and um, read more, it's titled Rethinking the Communication of Action Research. Can we make it dialogic? By Patricia Canto Farachala and Miren Larea. 
And there's also a link in the article where you can join the dialogic process that was kind of spawned through this research and see an example of what this looks like, everything that we've been talking about. Please keep us posted on, like, like you said, you were already kind of working on uh, expanding this research. So we'd love to continue this conversation and share everything that you're doing with our audience. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. It was a great pleasure being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Action Research Podcast, created by Adam Stieglitz, Joe Levitan, Shika DeWalker, Corey Legasic, and Vanessa Gold. You can subscribe to our podcast on most major podcast distribution platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts.